Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Thursday, February 18th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brad Powers, professional better and handicapper over at bradpowersports.com to talk some FCS college football and some college hoops on today's show. We are one week away from the release of my 2021 MLB betting guide, first time under the ATS name, previously, of course, under the Bang the Book name. Very excited to get that guide out to you. I've been very, very hard at work on that. Season win total previews for all 30 Major League Baseball teams. Futures markets for the World Series, pennant, and divisions, plus player futures for the AL and NL Cy Young, AL NL MVP, and the Home Run King as well. So all of that comes your way in the 2021 MLB betting guide. Week away from releasing that here. It'll be an individual page format webpage format over at ats.io it will be in a downloadable pdf so that you'll have the full guide right there in front of you and i am hoping here if i get the writing done in time to put something together that looks like kind of a flip book some sort of not interactive guide but just something that looks a little bit better than just a, a black and white pdf so trying to put a lot of things together here for this uh 2021 mlb betting guide should be a lot of fun very much looking forward to it and, uh, you know, again, uh, baseball, kind of my thing here at ATS.io and looking forward to what I hope will be a very strong 2021 season. Also over at ATS.io right now, picks and predictions for college basketball, the NHL and the NBA. My situational betting articles get updated every Sunday night or Monday morning. Got golf previews for you, UFC previews, NASCAR previews, uh, sportsbook reviews, top sportsbook promotions in the business. All kinds of great stuff over at ATS.io for you to check out. And of course, make sure you download the ATS app as well, which is a bet tracker, an odd screen, and you've got the opportunity to read all of the articles in that ATS app as well. So download that from the Google Play Store or the Apple Store today. We bring on today's guest. That is professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. And Brad, how's it going today, man? Man, it's going well. How are you doing? Oh, very well, buddy. Appreciate your time as always here, sir. And some internet issues on your end, maybe some spotty stuff on my end as well. So doing the best we can here to get something out for our listeners on this Thursday edition of the show. And, uh, you know, we usually talk college football pretty much on every episode with you. We find something to discuss. We'll talk a lot of FCS here. But first, before we get to that, uh, you and I were talking about this before we started recording here today, Brad, that UCF upgrading at the head coach position even though it's mid-February it's certainly by, by getting you know former Auburn coach Gus Malzahn who I you know I'm not a huge fan of but I mean anytime you can beat Nick Saban three different times something nobody's done uh here in the last decade and I get it Auburn plays him every year but still nobody else in the SEC has been able to do that you, you get a guy that's been to a national title game been to multiple big bowl games competed with Saban, uh, competed in, in the toughest division in college football to get a guy with that kind of experience for UCF compared to uh, uh, Josh Heupel, their former head coach, who basically inherited an undefeated team and uh, has seen that team get worse progressively, considerably, actually, with each passing year, especially this year. Uh, I, I think a major win for, for UCF. My only caveat to it, the only worry that I have is, you know, Gus Malzahn the last couple of years at Auburn wasn't a, a go, go, rah, rah guy, a very good recruiter. 
Uh, maybe you don't have to recruit very hard as far as getting, <laughs> you should be able to get in your car in the Orlando area and find enough talent. It's not like you got to be high, uh, you know, hopping on a bunch of, of flights across the country, but still uh, a very good hire for UCF. And obviously, you know, one of the better, easily one of the better group of five jobs in the country. So as you're doing your preseason prep work here, and, and obviously it's a bit of a unique situation. Most teams kind of already have their affairs in order as far as the coaching staff goes and all of that. What does that do to a power rating for UCF in your mind? Great question. Uh, another negative would be how late in the process it is. So, I mean, the signing day is two weeks ago uh, at this point. Uh, he's by far the latest hire uh, at February the 18th. So th- that's kind of a negative. Uh, but I, I think him being an upgrade over Josh Hype will probably even things out. I mean, I'm not going to boost UCS power rating three, four points. Uh, but, you know, normally I would be downgrading a, a team as far as a first season coach already missing a recruiting class being very late in the process. So I think it'll even itself out. Uh, I mean, the, the major factor is going to be, you know, what, what happens at the quarterback position. Dylan Gabriel, is he going to stay and be fine there for UCF? And what, what other roster additions and deletions are going to have? That, that's going to be the major uh, focus as far as my power rating. I'm guessing when it all shakes out, because UCF, in my opinion, uh, you know, really disappointed. I mean, I downgraded UCS power rating significantly throughout the course of 2020. I'm guessing I'm going to come around to UCS power rating is going to be three or four points higher in the preseason than what it was, you know, right after the bowl game lost to BYU. Well, and of course, I think, too, something that's, that's really beneficial for UCF here is that they should be able to get all their spring practices in. You know, if this had yep. happened in 2020 and then COVID hit, and you don't get spring practice, you know, that's a little bit different because now you're talking about new schemes, new terminology, you know, all that kind of thing with Malzahn there. So those players now have to spend the next six months or so learning a new system, kind of familiarizing themselves with it, getting into it and all of that. And you know, that's the importance, I think, of spring practices is, you know, you can work in a lot of new things, in particular for teams that have new coaches. So, uh, you know, I saw Florida made an announcement that they're not having a spring game with fans, but they're doing all their spring practices and everything else. So that's a positive, you know, at least that Malzahn gets to come in, have those spring practices. The players can kind of figure things out on the fly a little bit. He can actually see his personnel physically out there on the field. I think that's a benefit, you know, relative to maybe what would have happened if this was the case last year. But I know you'll be watching those spring games very, very closely across the country here coming up. Certainly will. And that's a, a major positive just for the game of college football. I, I mean, to get those practices, keep in mind, almost uh, most teams had zero or one or two spring practices last year. So, and to go from that to, to actually having 15, I mean, regardless of the, if they're spring games with fans or not, just to actually have those practices is going to improve the quality of play uh, during the fall. And uh, with a product that, you know, had some questionable TV ratings down the stretch, uh, I want that product to be improved as a college football fan. I guess I want to kind of put you on the spot here a little bit, but you know, and I don't know the dates for spring practices. I know some teams have already started. Some teams are starting very soon in terms of the new coaches, you know, which which ones are you most intrigued with, especially in terms of following, you know, some of the early returns from what they do in the spring. Oh, wow. Uh, Gus Malzahn would probably be uh, near, near the top of that list uh, just because, you know, it's a big name at a program that I think at least the group of five level has a very high ceiling, as high a ceiling as any group of five job. Uh, 
on the downside of it, as far as the negative, you know, I'm not a fan of Josh Heupel. I'm not a fan of the Tennessee program of where it's at. Uh, and, you know, a program that should be right behind Florida and Georgia in the division, in that Eastern division of the SEC, I think it's going to, you know, struggle at the bottom of the SEC besides Vanderbilt. And obviously South Carolina's uh, another intriguing, you know, new head coach there in Shane Beamer. I think they're, they're actually going to improve. It can't get much worse than what they were a year ago for the Gamecocks there. I know you follow them relatively closely. Uh, it, it's still early in the process uh, for me. You know, it's, it's, you know, with FCS going on now and me being involved in hoops, I don't really start diving in completely uh, until, you know, I would say the end of March. April's like a big month for me where I just basically go full-time college football from that point on so I, I haven't given a thought as far as you know guys that, that are really going to be a huge upgrade guys that are going to be really a big downgrade and, and let's be quite frank I mean it was kind of a a whole hum coaching carousel in the, this year compared to past years yeah I think that's fair to say I, I'm of course very interested in the Shane Beamer one as you mentioned you know my wife from South Carolina become a Gamecocks fan that's one that I'm definitely looking pretty closely at Another one I'm looking at here, you know, from a spring practice standpoint is Utah State. You know, Gary Anderson, I I didn't like that hire to begin with. You and I blasted that hire here on the show quite a bit. It was just a a very bland hire. You know, I think the boosters just kind of strong armed their way in a little bit to bring Anderson back. And it, it, it didn't work. You know, the players didn't like him. He seems like he's just done with being a college football coach. Blake Anderson is a guy who went through a lot at Arkansas State, obviously. You know, that Arkansas State was a springboard for coaches to jump, including Malzahn, for coaches to jump somewhere else to another job. Anderson was there for a long time, a stable guy, the whole thing with his wife, Wendy, and, and dying from cancer and all that. I can't blame him for looking for a chance to get out of Jonesboro. He goes to Utah State. You know, this is going to be a very different culture with this yep. program. Obviously, he has to kind of figure out ways to assimilate himself into, you know, what we know about Utah culture and about the program and about the types of guys they wind up recruiting and all of that. But this is just going to be so much more positive of an environment. I think that while Utah state may not have the most talent in the mountain West, you know, I do think that they will gravitate towards a guy like Anderson pretty quickly. So that's a team. If I'm kind of looking ahead, thinking about season win total markets and stuff like that, I feel like I'm going to give, you know, kind of a a favorable outlook for a team like Utah state. Yeah. And I, I like teams that have, you know, bottomed out or topped out as far as a power rating goes. And what do I mean by that? You know, what were the biggest, what I look to take advantage of uh, are those outliers uh, in a power rating who had historically poor and who had historically great seasons. Obviously I downgraded Utah state's power rating about two touchdowns last year throughout the course of the season. Uh, what I, I look for regression towards the mean there. And it starts with, you know, having a, a, a decent head coach in place. Uh, I mean, Anderson was, you know, let go at the start of the season. They played basically with an interim uh, that they, they had opt outs and whatnot, a very disjointed roster. And then you just look at their five, six, seven year, you know, trajectory as far as Utah state. I, I mean, they're consistently more of a winning program. So I think you're onto something there. And not only on the, on the Anderson side, him getting a, a kind of a fresh start, uh, there, but just yeah, I, I like playing on the teams that bottom down. Utah State being one of them. I mean, obviously LSU will be improved, Michigan will be improved, and, and whatnot. South Carolina, I look forward to take a step up after they really bottomed out that down the stretch there. So th- those are a couple. I, I guess the, the big one 
and then, then I looked at, at these, some of the coaches, and I, I don't want to miss this one, but I, I do think Texas upgraded uh, with Sarkeesian. And it's not like Herman did a horrible job there. Uh, I love betting on Tom Herman in bowl games. Uh, and obviously Texas was seven and three. That's not going to cut it there. But, I mean, all three losses were close for the Longhorns. I mean, they just need a little bit. I mean, if you boost the Texas power rating three, four points, uh, Texas finally, after it feels like a decade of wandering around in the wilderness, uh, if, if they if they have hired the right guy, which I think they have, I mean, they're obviously right up there with Oklahoma. And I think it'd be good for college football to have another power outside of the, you know, the, that Southeast region that, that dominates Clemson and the SEC. Yeah, I think so too. That's an excellent point there to make about Sarkeesian. But, you know, that's still a few months down the road here before we have to look at win totals and games of the year and all those yep. kinds of things. What's right in front of us right now is the FCS. We had one game last week, McNeese and Tarleton State. That one wound up going to double overtime, went over the total, uh, you know, one that had some points very late. So that was one that it was kind of a difficult pill to swallow starting off the FCS season for you. But we got a lot of games and a lot of opportunities here this week. So before we look at some games specifically, what is your approach? You know, what are you sort of using as a guideline? Have you, you know, put together some semblance of power ratings? Have you sort of picked up on some things in the market? What, what are you kind of doing here to prep for these games each week? It's a great question. So normally I do uh, my own FCS power rings. I mean, I'm not doing anything else during the summer. I finish up my FBS work for the most part uh, early on in the process uh, because I have to. I mean, I have to be ready by, by, you know, the end of May in a lot of instances as far as season win totals. So I normally do my FCS, my own FCS power rings, but you know, they, they mimic, uh, you know, if they're going to mimic any other you know, public available power rating out there, it's just Sagarin. Uh, whether it's my FBS power ratings or my FCS, if someone were to ask me what you know my power ratings cl- most closely resemble, it's probably going to be Jeff Sagarin outside of obviously some outliers and, and a few differences there. So what did I do this year? Uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm an open book here. Uh, so, you know, I just t- took the baseline, the Sagarin's ratings, because I think they're pretty solid. Are they the end all? Can you make a ton of money betting on them? No, but uh, they're at least a good baseline to, to get a starting power rating. And then it's just, you know, old fashioned handicapping one-on-one start diving in, start reading about teams. Uh, and especially with this season, because it, it's so different from other seasons. I mean, you know, some of the bets that I made early on in the process were teams that were maybe uh, good last season by being last season, 2019, we're, we're expected to be good this season, and, and there was just roster changes. You know, guys opted out. Uh, you know, the, a lot of players they expected to be back just aren't there. That's where I started to find some, you know, per, perceived value. We'll see what ends up shaking out. But, you know, start with Sagarin's power ring and just, you know, old school. Just go into the, the, the local newspapers and some of the nat- – there's some national guys that, that I respect that, that do previews on FCS just uh, – Start going to town, reading up on teams. Yeah, I like that you mentioned the old school handicap, you know, of, of doing the digging, doing the deep diving, looking at the local yep. papers and stuff like that. And it's especially interesting, like we talked about last week, where you're going to see a lot more national coverage of FCS because the college football guys don't really have much to do at this time of the year usually. Or the college football guys and girls, I should say, that cover the sport don't have much to do really in February, but now they do. So they're going to be looking for these storylines, these angles, stuff like that. 
And there probably will be some reactionary things in the marketplace to, you know, some of these stories that get written up out there about different guys, different coaches, different teams, whatever else. So I think that it's all going to be a very interesting dynamic here, but I want to ask about market entry. You know, are, are you still playing these early in the week? You know, trying to get out in front of lines. Are you waiting until later in the week when you have accumulated more information, have a higher degree of confidence? What's kind of your market entry approach? Another great question, as usual. No, I'm firing away. If I feel like I got a pretty good number on a game, I fired in. Like, I mean, there originally was 17 games scheduled for this week. Uh, Circa opened up uh, a couple nights ago on Tuesday evening, right after bet online. Uh, I fired six bets in. What they allowed me to bet. (laughs) Uh, so I, yeah, I'm not afraid, but I think I can, I, I got a pretty good idea on how to do a power rating. Uh, now the, the, the big difference would be, uh, at the FBS level, uh, you know, week three, week four, uh, you know, if I make the number three and, and somebody hangs two, two and a half, uh, I'm a, I'm a fire away. Uh, FCS, I require a little bit bigger d- disparities as far as between my power rating, what the line on the game, uh, you know, if it's a big point spread. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. North Dakota State, Youngstown State, uh, I did circa hung 27. I made it 24. I, you know, normally that would be a bet for me. Ah, I, I didn't, you know, it's not like we're around a lot of key numbers there. Uh, I, did, I didn't, you know, auto, it wasn't an auto bet, even though I had three points of difference there between my line and what circa originally hanged there. So it, it just, it requires a little bit more. I mean, I'm not betting on, half points at least at this point now if it's week eight you know if i'm talking here at the end of march and early april i'll probably get to that point but at least not early on the season it's uh you know it requires me to have three you know three four points of difference and usually with, with the little shorter numbers not necessarily the big point spreads how quickly do you think overreaction will happen in this market because we always talk about it from an fbs standpoint of you, know, you get that team in week one that loses to an FCS team and everybody immediately discards yep. that team for like six, seven weeks in a row. And if you you know have the stones, you can play that team and, and they usually wind up doing relatively well against the spread unless they've absolutely bottomed out that season or, or something like that. But this will be a very inefficient market. This will be a yep. market that people bet because it's football, because FCS is on. I mean, we know football is, is the cash cow in this business. So there will be a lot of, to put it nicely, uneducated money in this market that will push some of these things around and probably some uneducated, deep-pocketed money with nothing better to do that doesn't really want to bet into basketball lines or something like that. So what do you think we kind of see as we go forward here? I mean, will there be a lot of overreaction, you think? There will be. I will disagree with you. The deep pockets probably won't enter the, this market too much. I mean, you just can't get enough down. In my opinion, we'll see. Maybe they open it up, you know, the limits. I mean, if every shop's, uh, you know, you can get down a couple G's uh, and you got, you know, t- 10 different outs or whatever, I guess that, then theoretically you can get down uh, at least a sizable chunk compared to the average guy on a game. Uh, there'll be overreaction. I mean, I'll give you an example right now, and then I'll talk about how inefficient the market is. But, you know, Tarleton State took a ton of money uh, last week. I mean, they, they went from two-and-a-half-point home underdogs to, like, a three, three-and-a-half-point home favorite. Didn't win, didn't cash those tickets. But, you know, <laughs> with a couple minutes left, well, when you're up 14, a lot of pe- anybody that bet Tarleton State felt they should have won last week. We've already seen some money come in on them against New Mexico State. You know, because Tarleton State was fresh in the minds, and I'm not talking public betters. I'm talking – 
these are guys that do this professionally. I expect Tarleton State money to come in. I'm going to be against that. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to be probably on New Mexico State, but but I need to, to see where this line ends up shaking out uh, over the weekend. But I think that's going to be an overreaction on Tarleton State, who played you know a mid-level FCS team that dealt with you know historical uh, as far as conditions. McNeese State. I mean, a lot of the the reason that there was money on Tarleton State was a fade against. I mean, Nick State program lost like 20 guys over the course, course of the fall and whatnot. The reality is Tarleton State was a Division II team last year. Division II teams only are allowed 36 full scholarships. Now they're playing an FBS team, a very bad FBS team in New Mexico State. But I just think that gap between these programs should not have Tarleton State a favorite over New Mexico State. So if you're looking for a pick, uh, I'd wait. I think you're going to get a better number on New Mexico State over the weekend. That's one where I think the market's going to be inefficient from the professional side uh, that, that I'm going to look to take advantage of. And speaking of inefficiencies, this is how inefficient the FCS market is. Uh, there is a book that just posted lines today, this morning. They're posting lines on games that are canceled like yesterday. So that's how inefficient it is. I mean, they're just not up to the news. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And and the nice thing is, you know, early on in the week, like we've talked about before, you're betting against the book. Later on, yep. you're betting against kind of everybody else. And, and there will be some people out there in the FCS market that are pretty sharp. I mean, there will be, yep. like I said, some educated public, uneducated public money that that's it because it's football and you can. But there are some people that do follow this, you know, league very, very closely and, you know, will be able to take advantage of some of these markets. One other thing I want to ask you about here with regards to this week, you know, South Dakota State, Northern Iowa on Friday night, line is three in that game. You mentioned Tarleton State, New Mexico State, one and a half. You got a two and a half for Northwestern State and Lamar, six and a half for Austin P and Tennessee Tech. You know, you've got some familiarity with, uh, you know, at least a few of those games with teams in the same conference and stuff like that. All of these games, for the most part, conference play. But you've also got James Madison laying over 40. Wofford yep. laying three scores. Uh, Elon laying 19, Furman laying 23, UT Martin laying almost two touchdowns, North Dakota State, a massive favorite in their game. What about early on in the year here, where I think there's a high degree of uncertainty, really for both teams, would you shy away from laying big favorite prices? Because the implication to me is, if you're going to cover a big favorite number, then you better be in sync. You better have some kind of rhythm going on I don't know if that'll be the case with, you know, how unique all these circumstances are. I agree. I'm just not a guy that's going to lay a big number traditionally. Uh, and I, I, I'm going to shy away as it is. Cause I mean, you gotta be efficient to, I mean, to, to roll along there now, you know, it works on the other side. I mean, if you're not hitting on all cylinders, uh, even though you're the far superior program and team, I mean, what does that mean for, for the, the, the teams at the bottom of the FCS I don't think that's necessarily good news, but I mean, if you're asking me, I'm just, I'm never going to be a guy that, that's firing away at a lot of 17 plus point favorites. I'm just not, at least early on this season, uh, w- because of, of so much uncertainty. If there was one team that, that, that I might think about it, I mean, we'll see how low that I, I doubt the number goes much lower than what it is now, but because it's below my original number and there's probably going to be some expectation of game day money coming in on North Dakota state. I, yeah, I'm not gonna have a big bet on it, but I, you know, I'll bet a couple of pizzas probably on, on the bison uh, in, in that game uh, that, that that'll be, if there's one team that I would 
and probably be, you know, the best of the best. Because if there's one thing we've seen, Adam, regardless of sport, I mean, the favorites have done maybe not necessarily great against the spread, but overall, the course of the season, I mean, the rich have got richer and the poor have gotten poorer. I mean, traditionally, uh, across most sports during COVID, I mean, the, the favorites have, have basically come out on top in the end. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, you think of all the championship teams that we've seen here so far, and there have been virtually no surprises, at least in terms yep. of the major North American sports. So I think that's an excellent point there. One other thing I want to ask you about, sides or totals? You know, what are you, are you focusing in on both right now? Do you feel like the sides are maybe a little bit better of numbers than the totals? Uh, what are you kind of seeing just as an overall observation, you know, here with this first, you know, full week of games? Another great question. Uh, I'm more just because most books have just sides only at this point, they won't post totals until game day. I, I am more focused on the sides at this point. That might change as we learn more and gather more data uh, on the teams throughout the course of the next few weeks. But at least right now I'm more focused on the sides. I mean, they're in a look, totals are going to be less inefficient than the sides. But but at least uh, uh, you know, I, I can get down decent enough money on the sides at, at a majority of the books uh, where, I mean, just an example, Circa only has the sides up right now. Westgate only has sides. South Point only has sides. I mean, you got to go bet online DraftKings to find totals at this point. That's it. Most books, even Bookmaker uh, and Chris is only offering sides. So just from that aspect, I'm more focused on that than I am the totals. I mean, Weather will be, you know, if I'm going to play totals, uh, obviously with some historic weather going on, and most of these games have just been canceled, you know, that that's what I'll be looking to take advantage. Uh, I mean, just because, I mean, how often are we playing in February? And, and a lot of FCS is dealing with, you know, parts of the country, you know, that are a little bit colder than, than other parts, just put it that way. No, that's an excellent point. Something I didn't really think about is, you know, you, you think about a lot of these FCS schools, and in particular, the ones that are playing, and they're across, you know, the Great Plains in the Midwest and down in the Southeast. And of course, in the state of Texas, where, you know, all hell is kind of broken loose uh, yeah. here throughout this week with the weather. So, yeah, that's a great point, you know, especially because these teams are used to starting out and kind of getting into rhythm when the weather is not bad. Now they've got to yeah, start out trying to get into rhythm when it's awful. So I think it's a really good point. And, you know, we'll see what kind of happens here with these lines, with everything going on with this week. I guess the last thing I, I'll ask you here is, um, you know, when, when do you expect line moves to start coming in? You know, I mean, I, we're not going to be dealing with large limits. We're not going to be dealing with the same limit structure that we see for college football, where early people grab numbers at lower limits, Tuesday, things go up Thursday, things go up again. And then of course, at their highest point on game day, Are you expecting a lot of game day movement then for these games? Oh yeah, I do. I think a majority of it is going to be game day. I mean, the guys like myself will shape it up early. Uh, and then there will be hardly any movement uh, on mo- a majority of the games, obviously injuries and other breaking news uh, is going to impact the line. And then, you know, guys after guys like myself been into the market on a Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever they feel like releasing these lines, you're not going to see much for two, three days. And then game day when limits open up a little bit. And plus you're going to get public uh, betting. Is the public going to bet week one much? Probably not, but, yeah, and I'm not sure that they're going to be heavily involved just because they're not on traditional. It's not like you're flicking on ESPN and, and see the game on. Uh, it's ESPN Plus and whatnot. So it, it'll be diehards, just to put it that way. And 
I, I don't. I, I think it, it'll be a sharper mark as far as who's necessarily betting. I, I just don't think, at least at this point, early on in the season, public will have too much of a say outside of maybe betting a team like North Dakota State. All right, let's transition over to the college basketball side of things here for 15 or 20 minutes or so to finish up the show. And uh, Brad, something that we talked about on Monday that I, I think is pretty interesting here is that a lot of conferences now sort of have the ball in their courts, pardon the pun, with regards to conference tournaments. If they want to have them, you know, athletic departments will decide if they want to go, if they don't want to go, if they're going to opt out of the conference tournament. But these conferences, I guess, have until February 26th to decide if they want to have a conference tournament or if they just want to send the regular season champion. So this news should probably start breaking, I would say, middle of next week where these conferences start deciding what they're going to do. But this is always such an interesting part of the college basketball season to me because a lot of these really bad teams will just look at it and say, well, you know what? We're in the conference tournament anyway. That's kind of our shot. You know, if we pull off a couple of upsets, go on some Cinderella run, something like that. So they kind of go through the motions to a degree late in the regular season. This year, I don't know what is going through the mindsets of a lot of these teams, of what they're thinking, especially in the low majors where conference tournaments, you know, may kind of be hanging in the balance. It's just another one of those wrinkles in a COVID season that, you know, makes handicapping college basketball that much more difficult. Yeah, and I have not seen, has anybody opted out yet of the conference tournament, any conferences? I don't think so. The only I, I've seen that some conferences have kind of scaled them back a little bit. They're not going to take yeah. everybody. They'll take the top eight or, or something. Uh, you know, I know I saw the America East Conference, for example, since I wrote up a preview for Vermont and UMBC over at Bang the Book, I saw that they're doing like a championship pod and a playoff pod and then I don't know if teams are playing into the playoff pod or what, but like their top two teams get automatic buys to the semifinals instead of having to play early. So there are some format changes at least. Yeah. Uh, and obviously they're going to have to make these decisions quickly. I, I guess once those decisions are made, you know, obviously I'd be more prone to, to, you know, if the sense of urgency is more up in, in uh, uh, as far as the last few games of the regular season, I mean, then that will impact my, my handicapping in that regard. But once those until those announcements are made, I'm, it's not factored into what how I'm thinking. What, what it does, you know, moving forward, I mean, I'm looking at Gonzaga here. I mean, unless I, I mean, looking at Ken Palm, just looking at, at the official site for Gonzaga, they're wrapping up on Saturday. Uh, are they playing any more games and before their conference tournament? Because I'll tell you this for the overwhelming favorite to win it all. I mean, I'm not real pleased that, you know, Gonzaga is wrapping up on Saturday, February the 20th, and then they'll play a conference tournament three games. And then they're not going to play again until, you know, the, the, the second, third week of March when March the NCAA tournament, I don't think that's ideal uh, for any of that. And that's what I'll be looking to take advantage of. Yeah, I think it's an excellent point because I was kind of looking at that too, where, you know, you do have some teams that are done after this weekend or some teams that maybe play early next week and then that's it. You know, then they just wait around for their conference yeah. tournament. And that's a real dangerous thing because you've got to stay sharp. And, and, and I yep. sort of wonder, you know, we were talking about this on Monday's show. Like if you're the West Coast Conference, right? Like Gonzaga's a number one seed. It doesn't, they could lose in the first round of the West coast conference tournament. It doesn't matter. They're a number one seed. 
Yeah. You bother with a conference tournament that Gonzaga is probably going to win anyway? Or do you hope that something really crazy and, and freaky happens and like St. Mary's beats Gonzaga in the, in the championship game or something like that, and you get two teams into the NCAA tournament field? You know, the, these conferences that have, you know, you know, the OVC, for example, right? Yep. You probably want Belmont to go to the NCAA tournament because they're yeah, the best team that you've got. So do you just go ahead and say, well, you know what? We're not doing a conference tournament. Belmont won our regular season. They're going to go, you know, and then it's like, okay, so Belmont goes and that's cool. Cause they're the best team for you. They also won't have played in like two and a half weeks. So yeah. that's kind of, you know, counterproductive to a team like Belmont's chances. So I'll be really interested, maybe less from a, a betting standpoint, more from kind of just a, you know, general fascination standpoint to see what these conferences decide to do. And if there are ways that it could impact our, you know, game by game betting or the futures markets. Yeah. Then by all means, I, it's something I'll look to take advantage of. Yeah. And we've seen, obviously COVID layoffs are different because you're missing practices and you know, you've actually been sick and there's questionable conditioning, but still it's a negative. I mean, you don't play for three, four weeks, especially when you're hitting yeah, at this point in the season, a lot of teams are hitting their stride, and then you're just not playing. I mean, it's a huge negative, in my opinion, and I, I guess I'll be looking to take advantage of it if that is indeed the case for a lot of teams entering the NCAA tournament. Uh, it, it's going to be really interesting to see if a lot of conferences do away with it. I, my expectation and what you brought up makes more sense to me. I'd probably limit it a little bit more. I mean, do you really need to, to see the ninth or 10th or 11th best team in the conference? Do you really want to send them? in there when it can only be a negative knocking out uh, your, your top team. I, I would say smaller conference tournaments would be the answer and maybe the best case for everybody. But uh, <laughs> I get what could be intriguing. You don't play it. I mean, a Gonzaga, if I'm Gonzaga, I'm looking to play, you know, somebody else that's looking for a game. I mean, we saw North Carolina pick up a game. I know they're only playing Northeastern, but Maybe Gonzaga can pick up a game against a major conference team. I mean, that would be the ideal thing for Gonzaga to, to sharpen them up before the NCAA tournament. No, that that's an excellent point. That's a good point that you brought up there. I just, you know, I sort of wonder. I mean, like, I don't know how much of this information we're going to know. It may just be kind of a watch and wait type of thing. But some of these teams that are god-awful, these teams that are, you know, the, the bottom 100 in college basketball, something like that, how invested are they in, in the rest of this season? You know, it's obviously been a long yep. year anyway with COVID, with being restricted, not being able to live that college life when you do get downtime, all of that. And you also suck at basketball. You know, like, do, do those teams, those big underdogs, just get completely railroaded and run off the floor in a lot of these games that are remaining or, you know, do some of them play for pride? I, I don't really know, you know, if we're going to find out too much of that information ahead of time, it may be something that, you know, we see after the fact, but there's also that too of, you know, these teams that are maybe on the bubble, you know, look, you get a chance to play in the NCAA tournament, no matter under what circumstances you're going to do it. If you're a yep. team that's absolutely not going anywhere, you know, you may, you may just kind of want to pack this thing in. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to be, you know, prone to betting on the, the teams the, the, at the bottom. We're typically, maybe you can find some value because, I mean, the market doesn't want to bet on these teams, but I, I would be less inclined to bet them in this type of season. I mean, I'll use an example. It's not a good one because I got very fortunate yesterday to win, 
But, you know, a team like New Mexico, where there's been, you know, rumors that they've wanted to opt out of the season. I got very lucky that it went to overtime and I cashed a ticket on Wyoming. But, you know, I, I'm looking to fade those teams. I mean, that was one instance yesterday where, you know, I'm questioning whether a team wants to finish the season. And that's the case. Uh, I mean, I think that's going to be the case for a lot of teams here down, down in the last couple of weeks. So I'm looking to take advantage of it. I mean, I, you know, counted my lucky stars last night getting a win against it. But, yeah, I think it's a legitimate thing that's going to be factored into my handicapping process. Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be, you know. I mean, and, and that's something that, you know, a lot of these metric sites just can't really build in. No, they can't. And, and that's something that, you know, that's part of the handicapping process. And is it quantifiable? No, probably not. But you know, if it is an angle that is out there where you see a team that you feel like just isn't fully invested, isn't fully engaged, a team that's maybe fallen well short of expectations. I look at a team like Butler last night. Marquette was in, I mean, they were spiraling out of control. Marquette had not been playing well at all. Butler, a team that has fallen off quite a bit, they're not accustomed to being in this position in mid-February. They're used to being a good team, being in that tournament discussion. Here they're not. And they're not ready to play last night against the Marquette team that, you know, obviously had its back against the wall in terms of trying to right the ship with how poorly they'd been playing. And Marquette's up 16 at the break, wins the game by 16 as a two-point dog. I think there are some spots that you can take a look at like that here where there are teams that are used to being at a certain level, used to being at a certain threshold. And because they're not, I don't think we're going to get their best foot forward. And we've seen that with the Blue Bloods, like we talked last week. The Michigan States, the Kentuckys, the Dukes of the world, not used to being in this spot. Market wants to bet on them because they're used to it and they're looking for regression towards the mean. And, hey, it's uh, it's a very unique season. I mean, it's almost kind of like, and I'll say this, and all three of those teams will go on a big run. I mean, Duke's playing a little bit better now, but, I mean, we haven't seen tremendous value uh, for, for a lot of those teams. Uh, in fact, there's, the value's been fading up. I mean, it's been really good, and we've decided to fade those teams. So I'm I'm glad that you brought that example. And we saw it even on the college football level, like the Michigans of the world. I mean, it's just, you know, didn't have it and uh, wasn't going to get better anytime soon throughout the course of the season. It's almost kind of like a write-off type thing, type of year. Well, and I think something else that's really interesting, too, and, and obviously a lot of people have, you know, given their thoughts on, on Jalen Johnson and him opting out for Duke, but – you know what, when a guy doesn't really want to be there and, yeah. and he's still playing, you know, a significant portion of the minutes and being a big part of what's happening on the floor and all of that, that has a really negative impact on the rest of the team. And Duke yep. last night took money against Wake Forest, blew Wake Forest out, won the first half by 19. But they didn't look like a team that was going to miss Jalen Johnson. So they were probably fine Agree. with the fact that he was gone. And you think about a team like Little Rock, for example, where – they didn't look very good in their first game against Arkansas State on Friday of last week, but they were a little bit better on Saturday. They're just, you know, not a particularly strong team overall. But Marquise Noel left the program, and that was a guy who was, you know, kind of a malcontent with that team. He kind of wanted out, didn't really want to be there anymore. You sort of wonder now, after a full week of practice, after, you know, talking with the coach and, and saying, look, you are the guys that still want to be here. Maybe they play really well this weekend against Louisiana Monroe. You know, so these opt-outs, if they are bigger names, higher usage players, yeah, they hurt the talent level of the team. But at the same time, I mean, these kids aren't stupid. They know when guys don't want to be there. They know what kind of impact that has. So those are things that I think may be blessings in disguise for some of these teams. And, you know, maybe it happens here for Little Rock this weekend, for example. 
I love that you're, I mean, I hope people listening and really appreciate the, the depth of knowledge that Adam Burke has. I mean, he's writing a, a baseball preview guide, a long one, you know, they were talking hundreds of pages at, at its conclusion. And he's knowing, he's spouting off players from Arkansas Little Rock. <laughs> and basketball, uh, college basketball sport that, uh, you know, I think it's safe to say that it's not one of your favorites. I mean, the, the, I, I just hope people appreciate you. No, I appreciate that, man. Thanks so much for that, uh, that kind comment there. One other thing I want to talk about real quickly, you know, I wrote up a preview of yesterday's Valparaiso and Loyola Chicago game over at bangthebook.com. And, you know, I'm looking at it. And first of all, Loyola Chicago off of, you know, two games against the second best team, I would say, in the Missouri Valley and Drake. And they blew them out in the first game, lost the second game by a point. Weren't really, at, neither team was really at full strength, I don't think, in that second game. But then Loyola's laying 20 and a half against Valparaiso. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, okay, maybe the letdown factor doesn't necessarily work out here. But this team is being asked to cover 20 and a half points in a game that's probably going to be played to 64, 65 possessions, something like that. Game winds up getting played to 56 possessions. Valpo almost wins the game outright. But you and I were talking about this before the show that Pace and tempo are very much factored into the total for a game. Does it feel to me like they're factored into the side to the same degree? No, they're, they're not. And usually, you know, it's whatever the, the Kempom number, as long as there's not an injury, it's whatever that spits out. And I think with Loyola Chicago, I think some of the money uh, on them was bounce back spot after a rare loss for them, which, you know, might've been a little bit misguided. Obviously was, I mean, if you look at the final, yeah, I, I'll tell you this, I don't think about it all the time, but, but it certainly enters my thought process a lot is, you know, if I'm looking to back a big favorite or a big underdog, I do, I, you know what I immediately go to Temple. Uh, I just, is it going to be a slower paced game? Uh, because if I'm taking that opportunity with a bigger favorite or a bigger dog, I'm always going to look at Temple. I mean, how many possessions is the favorite? going to be able to exert its will, its superiority over the, the weaker team, and, you know, regardless of whether, you know, it works to both sides there. So, yeah, I, I think that hell, that, that factors in a lot of times to, uh, you know, my college football handicapping, you know, teams that, that are looking to, to run pace. And specifically the Missouri Valley Conference, I mean, a lot of things have changed over the last 20 years. One thing that hasn't, if you're looking for one of the slowest tempo conferences, in all of college basketball, it's the Missouri Valley. There's not a single team this season that's in the top 125 uh, of college basketball as far as adjusted tempo rankings. I mean, they notoriously run slower tempos. And even though Loyola was getting margin on a lot of teams, man, and that that was a really good spot. And, you know, hindsight's always 20-20, but, but, but I'm a little ticked at myself that I, I didn't take advantage of that. Well, and then there's one game tonight. We transition into looking at a couple of games tonight, one that I'm kind of interested in, and then we'll talk about one that Brad's interested in. But along those same lines, St. Mary's and Gonzaga play tonight. And this yep. Gonzaga, 20.5-point favorite, total 141.5. And this total did go up initially, now has come back down. It peaked at 144, now sitting 141.5. Look, Gonzaga is an elite team. They could win this game by 40 or 50, and I would not be the least bit surprised. However, when you look at the first meeting between the two teams back on January 16th, it was played to 67 possessions, the slowest game of the year for Gonzaga. 
And we know that St. Mary's plays at a very, very slow tempo. No, they're not as good as they've been in the past. And they are recently coming off of a big COVID pause where they lost to Pepperdine the other night by a bucket where they hadn't played in about three weeks, it looks like. So yeah, maybe St. Mary's isn't in great rhythm. Maybe they can't keep up from an efficiency standpoint. But again, we're asking Gonzaga to cover 20 and a half here in a game that will be played to one of their slowest tempos of the season. And to me, again, maybe St. Mary's just isn't good enough. Maybe Gonzaga is that good, being the best offensive team in the country. But I just look at a spot like that, and I have to say to myself, Gonzaga has to be stunningly efficient to cover a number this big in a game that's going to be probably 67, 68 possessions. I'm going to take a look at St. Mary's in that spot. And like I said, they could get blown off the court. It's certainly possible. But that's one where I just look at the tempo, I look at the spread, and I say to myself, it's really – it's look, it's easy for Gonzaga to cover 20 and a half if this game is played to 80 possessions. It won't be. So to me, I just sort of look for those opportunities from a side standpoint. Makes a lot of sense. You want me over. Uh, I mean, so much that, that I'm going to bet St. Mary's I'm pro- and uh, release them to my clients. And I'm just looking at Gonzaga's schedule. There's, I mean, this is how efficient they've been offensively. They've, they've only had three games out of 20 where they've scored less than 85 points. Now, all, all those games, did they get enough margin to cover a 20-point spread? Uh, no, they didn't. So uh, it, it makes sense uh, that, you know, it's very tough to get. I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, don't overthink things. Uh, and, you know, obviously the, the, the projection tonight is they're not going to get to 85 points. And if that's the case, then, you know, I really like my St. Mary's bet. So I, I like the, the way you came at that. I mean, my only concern is, you know, there's not a lot of games left where can, can Zag it can really, you know, flex their muscle. Obviously, a St. Mary's program that they probably consider to be their their rival in, in the West Coast Conference, their arch rival. Uh, if they, it all becomes a mentality. If they really want to put one on St. Mary's, they're fully capable of it. But I think if it just plays out as expected with, with a, a slower tempo style, I just, it's, you're right. They're, they're going to have to have one of those games where they shoot well over 50% from the field. All right, so there's a game you're looking at tonight, too, also out there on the West Coast. This one in the Pac-12 between Colorado and Oregon. What are your thoughts here on game 785-786? Yeah, I I like Oregon here in a bet, Oregon. You know, I was in love with the game uh, prior to Colorado, uh, a team that's very high variance, losing, you know, as a big favorite. Third time they've done that here in the last month uh, outright to, to, to Cal, but even with that said, I just think moving forward, I'm going to be on Oregon more often than not. Why? I mean, four of Oregon's top five players has, has missed action this year. They have never really fully been healthy. I think Oregon, when they are healthy, is probably the best team in the Pac-12, although USC is playing really well right now. But you look at, you know, a Will Richardson missed most of the season for them, a guy that was expected to be a major contributor. He's only played the last four games. He missed all, all the first part of the season. And now it's finally healthy. He's played the last four games. Uh, you know, last three have been three of the better performances Oregon's had all season. I'm looking to bet on an Oregon team that I thought was the best team in the Pac-12 coming into the season. And because of injuries and also a COVID shutdown, I mean, they went through a course of a period of a month where they had six games postponed because of COVID. Either their you know, COVID issues or their opponents. I, I think now that they're starting to gel and get together, I, I think an Oregon team – it's going to be a team that I'm going to be looking to play on consistently down the stretch. 
Well, and that circles us back to Monday when we talked with Kyle Hunter about teams that do really well, coaches that do really well against the spread late in the season. This is only game number 17 for Oregon this year after game 18 was our sample size on Monday, but the number one ATS coach after game 18 in college basketball was Dana Altman. So this is only game 17 for Oregon, but he's very good late February and into March. He's not, you know, at least to the, 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 the real general fan probably knows of the name, but I just think he's probably one of the most underrated coaches in all of college basketball. It's not like he's a five-year wonder. I mean, he's been doing it for 20 plus years, whether at Creighton or Oregon now, an elite coach that, that doesn't get treated that way in the marketplace. And I mean, no surprise there that he's really good against the spread. Brad Powers, professional better and handicapper over at bradpowersports.com. We had to kind of uh, rig the show up in a different way today, but I appreciate you sticking it out with me and, making some adjustments here. What's happening over at the website right now, man? Yeah, website right now. Uh, a couple things. If you're interested in just football, if you're a football-only type of person, uh, whether it you know, be the NFL or college football newsletter, uh, that, that's available for 69 bucks. It's a weekly newsletter during the season, monthly during the offseason. If you want college hoops, you want FCS, because I'm just going to, you know, anytime I see a good bet in the FCS, I'm just going to release it you know, on my college basketball card. If you're interested in college hoops and FCS action, the next couple months or at least the next six weeks uh it's 79 bucks you get in daily updates as far as daily picks and whatnot daily info on games and you can check that all out at bradpowersports.com make sure you follow brad on twitter at brad powers and the number seven as well and speaking of twitter real quickly here uh some breaking news as we're doing the show oh. carson wentz traded to the indianapolis colts so he's reunited Ooh. with frank reich so what that's, do you do a, that's that? the only spot where i thought I would consider upgrading the team with Carson Wentz. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That I, could work there. I, I, Cause I think, I think Frank Reich is one of the better coaches. Doesn't get, you know, often, you know, priced that way in the market, but I think he's one of the more undervalued coaches. So uh, good move for the Colts. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm not saying that they're a Super Bowl contender all of a sudden, but they're certainly, uh, I'm not going to downgrade the Indies, uh, the, the power ring, let's put it that way, and I'm going to actually upgrade it. 2021 third and a conditional 22 second that could turn into a first was the cost for Carson Wentz there. And, of course, now Jalen Hurts, QB1 for the Philadelphia Eagles. So we'll see how that winds up going as well. But a little bit of breaking news out there uh, on there social media. So that's how we finish up the show. And a uh, good show at that, I think, with Brad Powers again, at Brad Powers, the number seven on Twitter, and bradpowersports.com is the website. Brad, always a pleasure, brother. Thank you so much for joining me, and I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks so much for having me. There you go. Once again, at Brad Powers and the number seven on Twitter, bradpowersports.com is the website. Still not sure what to do with the Friday show yet, which usually means I default to doing it myself. So maybe I'll start things off early on Friday morning with some additional baseball thoughts, maybe talk about uh, NBA, NHL heading into the weekend, something like that. I'll figure something out to get some content out to our loyal listeners here to finish out the week. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.